you're here for the second week of a series we've called Running with the Giants, and I hope that um, I hope that you're here last week to sort of catch that first week. Let me kind of catch you up in case you weren't, and let you know what this is all about. Uh, we, we just said this summer, I really want this to be a summer that you get in your Bible, and some of you are new to Christianity or new to faith and new to church, or just maybe it's been a long time, you've never really sort of been a Bible reader, never been in your Bible, I want you to, I want to help you through that. I want to encourage you to be in your Bible this summer. And so uh, for the next several weeks, we're preaching about sort of Bible characters and, and looking at some of their lives and really in the context of faith and what it means to live a life of faith, kind of a giant of faith. And we talked about how in Hebrews 11 that there are the whole chapter is sort of what we call the hall of faith or this, this hall of fame of faith where these giants of faith that sort of did incredible things for God. And we said... What would it be like if we could sort of run our race hearing from them? Hebrews 12 and 1 says it like this. Therefore, in light of this sort of all these people who've lived, these heroes of faith, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, since all of these heroes and champions of faith are watching us and watching us run our race, let us throw off everything that hinders, all of our sin that easily entangles us. And then let's just run with patience or perseverance the race that's been marked before us. So we said, what if... That, that faith was more like a race inside of an arena and that all of these witnesses, these giants of faith were sort of in the stands watching us, much like you're watching me right now kind of down here and you're up there and they're, and they're cheering you on, man, cheering us on to win our race. What would they say to us if a giant, if one of those you know, giants of faith, those Old Testament characters that just sort of did incredible things for God, what if they could come out of the stands and sort of join us on the running track and run a lap with us What's the one thing they would say to us? What's the one thing they would tell us about faith and sort of how to win the war of faith? And last week we, we started with Noah. And if you're new to church, Noah was the man who God said it's going to rain. It had never rained before. Matter of fact, most people believe there had never been a cloud in the sky before. And God said, I'm going to destroy the, the world with, uh, with a flood because of wickedness. And so Noah builds this ark. And we said last week that one person really can make a difference. That one person doesn't take, doesn't take 100 people or 200 people or 1,000 people or an organization of people. It just takes one person who knows that they know that they know that God called them to make a difference. And so that, we said that if you find that thing that you know, God sort of gave you, that you know that you know that you know that God called you, that you can make a difference. And so this week I want to pick up kind of in that idea of making a difference. And I want to talk about an Old Testament character named Nehemiah. Now, let me kind of give you a little history, a little Bible history. And I want you to read this in your Bible this week. I really do. I want you to find Nehemiah in your Bible. Uh, if you're married to a spiritual person, ask them where it is or Google it or get those tabs, you know what I'm saying, and find somewhere. I want you to read at least the first several chapters of Nehemiah. And you can kind of catch up on the story. But let me give you some, some history, kind of where we are. Nehemiah is this Jewish slave who lives uh, in, he's the cupbearer for uh, the Persian king Artaxerxes. He lives in the southern palace of Artaxerxes, the Persian king. It's about 444 B.C. Uh, and, and so they are, the Hebrews have been slaves and they're taken. The Persians sort of capture them and take many of them into captivity. And Nehemiah is sort of in the king's palace. Even though he's got a good life there, he is the cupbearer. Now, let me explain what it means when the Bible says cupbearer. What it literally means is that every time Artaxerxes, the king, would sit down for dinner or for a meal and he would have wine in front of him, Nehemiah would have to drink the wine out of the cup that they put in front of him before Artaxerxes would so that in case it was poison, Nehemiah was poisoned instead of 
Artaxerxes. And there's some people in first service, y'all are more spiritual, but in first service, some people were like, I'll take my risk, I get to drink wine all day, whatever. Anyway, so, so he's a cupbearer, this is his whole job, but he lives sort of in, he lives in the palace with, uh, with the Persians, but he's a Hebrew. And one day he had this life-altering conversation that sort of, everything in his life kind of takes a turn. His brother comes and some other people who had just come from Jerusalem where they're all from, the, the capital city of the Hebrew people, the eternal capital. The Bible would say that God had promised to Abraham the capital of the city uh, of, the, uh, of the nation of Israel and, and Jerusalem. It sort of had this special place in Nehemiah's heart. And he asked his brother, and he asked these other men, how is Jerusalem? How's the city of Jerusalem? How's it doing? I'm, I'm, I'm here and, and, and I, you know, my heart, I, my heart is there. And I just want to know, you know, what is it like? How is life there? And this is their answer, Nehemiah, the first chapter. He says, they said to me, so the, his brother and these other men said to Nehemiah, things are not going well for those who have returned back to Jerusalem or the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and they're in disgrace. He said, on top of all of that, like what the people are going through, he said that the wall around Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates that have protected it have been destroyed by fire. He said, Nehemiah, it's really not going good. Honestly, the people are in disgrace and, they're, and it's terrible. Their, their hearts are cast down. And besides all of that, the wall has been torn down and the gates have been torn down. So there's just no protection from any outside you know, attack. And, and, and it was just, it broke Nehemiah's heart. Literally, his heart just breaks in two for, for Jerusalem and for the people of God there. The Bible says that he wept and he fasted and he mourned and he prayed and he asked God, you know, God, why would this happen? These are desperate times. These are deplorable times. God, I want you to do something. And God sort of responds and says, I am going to do something, but I want you to be a part of it, everybody. Let me, let me stop right here and tell you, when, when God breaks your heart for something, it could be because God wants to call you to do something about that. Shout amen, everybody. God, want, that wasn't everybody. Everybody shout amen. Come on, I know it's quiet in here, but I'm going to fight against it in this movie theater. You can't, I, I know you can hear me, but I can't hear you, so I, I, I want to be able to hear you. I just know that sometimes God talks to you and think, man, why is God, why'd God make me feel this way about this? It could be because God's calling you in that particular area. And that's the same thing with Nehemiah. God had called him back to Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah sort of makes his way back to Jerusalem around November or December in the same year, 444 B.C. Ezra, the prophet, had, had been back in Jerusalem for 13 years. So 13 years earlier, Ezra had went back to Jerusalem to try to do the same thing, to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, but he had failed. As a matter of fact, the same king, Artaxerxes, had told Ezra the prophet, listen, this is not going anywhere. Things are getting bad. You don't need to do this anymore. The Samaritans and other residents were sort of attacking them. And Artaxerxes says, just stop here. But Nehemiah finds favor with this same exact king because when God is ready to do something through you, nobody can stop that. Shout amen, everybody. Nobody's going to stop what God's finally decided. So God had anointed Nehemiah for this, called Nehemiah to make a difference and now everything's out of the way, and Nehemiah goes back to do this. And it's absolutely amazing that you can read the story. I want you to read the story there. They rebuild the entire wall around the city of Jerusalem in 52 days. It's just this miraculous uh, deal. And, and, and so if you read this story, you think, man, everything seems to be going well there. Nehemiah actually gets on horseback, and he rides a 1,000 miles from where he lives in Susa in Persia, Back to Jerusalem, a thousand miles on horseback. Anybody a horse kind of guy in the room? Let me see all the cowboys. Nobody here. They all live in Sisterdale. So if you're if you, 
like uh, a, a thousand miles is not the safest. I mean, I'm saying that I'm, I'm sore thinking about it. You know what I'm trying to say? A thousand miles in a horseback. He goes all the way back to Jerusalem, but God had called him to do that. And he said, we can rebuild the walls. And then sure enough, they start making progress. And guys, this is a little hot up here. Matter of fact, if you only read the third chapter of Nehemiah's story, you'll start thinking, man, everything is smooth sailing. Like you'll start looking at his story going, I, I, I don't see what the problem here is. It, you know, Nehemiah, the third chapter, kind of reads like, so-and-so built their part of the wall, and so-and-so built their part of the wall, and they built this gate, and then everything happens, and 40, 52 days later, everything's you know, built back. And you'll start thinking, man, everything seems to be okay. But if I told you the whole story, then you'll start realizing, and I hope that you read that, you'll start realizing that at every time Nehemiah would make an advance, then he would have a setback. You ever had anybody that looked at your life and said, uh, man, I wish I had everything that you've got. I wish I had the marriage you got. I wish I had the home you had. I wish I had the job you had. I wish I had everything. And you look back at them like a monkey doing a math problem, like, if you knew what I came from, you don't want what I got. Everybody, you know what I'm trying to say? Shake your head this way if you know what I'm trying to say. There's some people don't know the heartache that you went through, the hell that you faced, the, the trouble in your marriage, the, the, the heartbreak that you've gone through the setbacks that you've had to sort of get where you are. And if you look at Nehemiah's story, you'll start thinking, man, this is easy. I, I want what he want, what he has. The problem is, to get where he has, you have to understand all of the obstacles and all of the setbacks. And there's some people in the room who know what it's like to feel like that you've taken one step forward, and every time that you do, you take two steps back. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life or if you're there right now where you've taken one step. You feel like, man, I'm making progress in my life. I'm doing the thing God called me to do. I'm, I feel like I'm going the right direction. And every time I take a step forward, then, then something happens and I take two steps back. Nehemiah's story tells us, listen, every time you decide you're going to make a difference, every time you decide you're going to do what God calls you to do, that there's going to be opposition. There are going to be people who don't want the progress in your life, who don't want God doing what He's doing in your life, who don't want you to sort of change your family tree and everything go different. They don't want what it is that God's doing for you. And so there's going to be opposition around. There are going to be things that happen to you, not because things are Wrong in your life. That's not what it is. Let me give you this. I want you to write this down. Here's the first thing. You will face opposition. Listen, when you step out and try to make a difference. One of the things that always, that always gets me when people go, Pastor, I don't understand, man. I'm doing what I think is right. I'm trying to make a difference. Why is it so hard? You ever, you ever done that? God, if this was, here's, here's the one I love, and this is especially true of, of, of you know, hyper-spiritual people or people who come from, you know, like a church background or spirit-filled people. Or, they say this, if it was God's will, it wouldn't be so hard. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? If it was God's will, it wouldn't be so hard. Why is it so hard? Let, let, let me just, let, let me tell you the reason why is because just because you're trying to do something for God doesn't mean that there's not going to be opposition. And so the enemy of your soul hates that you are making spiritual progress. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the enemy's goal, there's only one thing he's, he's, he's going to do in your life. He's going to steal and kill and destroy everything that's in your life. And so there's some people thinking, man, why did this happen this way? I don't understand this. I thought this was going to go by so smoothly. And it doesn't go by so smoothly. There's opposition that comes in your life. And the reason that is, 
It's because the enemy of your soul, he will not fight someone who's going the same direction. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? The only reason why things would be changed in your life, the only reason why you'll have opposition is because you decided that you're going to go a different direction. And there's some people who think, man, when I start following God, He's going to remove the opposition. When I start growing in my faith, He's going to remove, I start making the difference in my life. Things are going to get better, and now there's opposition. Here's the truth of the matter, that when you start going the right direction and making a difference, that the opposition of your life may actually get stronger and not weaker. It may actually get worked. And if Nehemiah were to come on the track with us, if Nehemiah were to sort of come out of the stands and run a lap with us, here's what I think he would say, and I know it's been up here a while. Listen close. You're not facing opposition because you did something wrong. You're facing opposition because you're doing something right. The biggest misconception that people have is that I'm facing opposition because I'm doing something wrong. Pastor, what's wrong in my life? Why, why are things happening this way? And the truth of the matter is you're not going through what you're going through because you're doing something wrong. You're going through what you're going through because you're doing something right. When did you ever think, when did we get it in our minds that doing God's will was the easiest way? The path of least resistance. The way that seemed to be the, the clearest way. When somebody comes to me and goes, Pastor, I'm just waiting for God, to, you know, for green lights. I always go, now hang on just a second. Just so you know that the green lights in the Bible are not always the same green lights that you and I are hoping for. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Jonah's green light was a well that swallowed him, everybody. That's the green light. God said, no, I was serious about that I'm, I, I've given you the green light to go to Nineveh Everybody, Nehemiah's green light was opposition and people coming against him it's not that you're doing something wrong opposition usually comes because you're doing something right let, let me give you an example in our own church's story about eight weeks ago we, we started our church nine months ago just next door uh, here in, in a school and we had a great relationship with the school and had no issues whatsoever 34 weeks no issues at all, none, zero, with the school that we were in. And about eight weeks before uh, the, the summer hit, the, uh, the administrators came to us and said, hey, just to kind of give you, you know, a heads up, we don't know. They may be doing some stuff uh, you know, at our school. They may be doing some, you may have to leave, but you may not. We hope you don't have to. We don't think you're going to have to, but it could be possible that we're going to be changing. I don't know. Maybe you should look for a place, but I wouldn't look for a place. Everything seems to be okay. Don't worry about it. And I went to God and I said, God, I appreciate that clear path. You know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> anyway, you know what I'm trying to say? God, I appreciate all the clarity that you've given me in that. So what do I, what do, I do now? And so our leaders got together and we said, let's, let's don't get caught, you know, kind of without a plan. Let's start praying. Let's start planning. And so I did just that. We started praying. We started planning. We went to every single school in our school district. Every single school. And if, you, if, if you're in Bernie ISD, I pray for you. <laughs> we went to every single school in, in, in Bernie school district. And every single school said, no. Now, a year ago, uh, uh, we had tried to make an agreement with AMC, the people who own this movie theater, and we couldn't. We, we worked for months on a contract and could not come to a contract with AMC. It just wasn't happening. It's just not, it's not the easiest way to negotiate a contract. And so I, I, I thought, man, that wasn't even part of the option. And so four weeks had gone by. We had heard no everywhere. And four weeks before the summer ends, the administrators came back to us and said, hey, we, we don't know, but we think maybe you'll have to leave. But we don't think you will. I think it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But if I were you, I'd be looking for somewhere else. Maybe you can stay. Maybe you can go. Could be next week. It could be four weeks from now. We really don't know, but we think you're going to be fine. <clears throat> okay, God, I appreciate the clarity. Thank you for that clear direction. I know exactly what to do now and which way to go. Three weeks before the summer hits, and the administrators come back and said, Hey, by the way, you've you got to go. you got three weeks to get out. 
And I said, God, what am I going to do? I literally, I remember going to God, going, God, there's hundreds of people who call this church home already, and I'm going to look like a fool. we got nowhere to go. We don't know what to do. And, and I started, literally, we, we were praying. We were going everywhere. We were, we were looking at places. If y'all knew the places we were thinking about having church, y'all, y'all wouldn't have come, I promise you. And I said, God, there's just no way. What are we going to do? And, and, and I reached back out to AMC. The thing that had taken months and months for us not to get a contract. And, and, and we started off the same way. It was a rocky deal, and we had no idea. And I haven't told anybody until this day. Only my wife knows this. But we announced to everybody, we spent thousands of dollars in advertisement and announced to everybody that we were moving to this theater and we didn't have a contract everybody (laughs) until one week before we moved in here before we had a a contract with AMC what why was it was it because we were doing something wrong no 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 it's because we were doing something right and when you're doing something the right way listen it's not going to be the easiest way the smoothest road everything's not going to work out just the way you want it to I don't want you to go into making spiritual progress thinking well maybe God will make this work out everything should be okay everything will just work out no 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 sometimes when you're doing the right thing that's when opposition comes in your life and that's true in the story of Nehemiah let me show you a couple of different ways that opposition comes in his life and then let me give you some hope on your way out of here Nehemiah the fourth chapter here's the first thing I want you to know and I want you to write this down when you're looking at making spiritual progress is that your enemy will attempt, your enemy will always attempt to oppose you and discourage you from the outside. There's always outside forces that your enemy will try to discourage you and, and, and come against you. And there's outside forces that he will, he will try to put against you. There's always something coming up against you. And Nehemiah, the fourth chapter, and, and verse number one says it like this. When Sanballat heard that, he, that they were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah 4, when Sanballat heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Listen close. And he ridiculed the Jews or made fun of them. And in the presence of his associates and all of the, all the people who laughed at him, the army of Samaria, he said, "What are these? he's talking down to them. What are these feeble Jews doing? And will they be able to restore the wall? And will they be able to offer sacrifices? He's sort of you know, making, making fun of what they do. And he said, will they finish in a day? Or can they bring the stones back to life? It's, it's just amazing. He just keeps going. Will they be able to keep doing all of this? Will they offer sacrifices? Can they bring stones? that, that They lie in these heaps of rubble and they're burned as they are. And then in verse 3, this crazy thing's happened. Another guy named Tobiah. So Sanballat comes. Now Tobiah chimes in, and you got to love what happens here. I'm not sure what's happening with our screen, guys. And Tobiah comes in in verse 3, and he says this. The Ammonite who was at his side, so there's Sanballat and Tobiah, which, by the way, if you're having twins, I think that's a great pair of names. Anyway, so Tobiah and Sanballat come, and they said, what are they building? Even a fox, now I don't know what this means. I think he's just talking smack here. He said, even a, a fox climbs up on the wall would break down their wall of stones. And so Tobiah and Sanballat are thinking, man, I'm, we'll just discourage everything that they're doing here. How many of you know when you start making spiritual progress in your life, there's always somebody from the outside, there's always an enemy from the outside who comes and tries to discourage you, tries to tell you, and now they're mocking and they're criticizing what they're doing. Here's two things you got to know. If you're going to make spiritual progress, you're going to face discouragement. Listen, you will face criticism. You will face people who make fun of you. It's going to be coworkers and neighbors and your in-laws. Come on, somebody. And, and, 
everybody around you and those that are on the outside of you. They're going to criticize your efforts. Not only are you going to be criticized, but you will face opposition. You just will. There will be something in your life that has obstacles. There's going to be obstacles there that come. It's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because you're doing something right. And I don't know that, how it looks for you. Maybe some of you in the room have decided we're going to get out of debt. Like this is our year. We're going to get out of debt this year. I'm going to get a, you know, a Dave Ramsey tattooed on my arm. Like, it's going, I'm getting out of debt. Envelopes and cash. Beans and rice and rice and beans. You know what I'm saying? Living like nobody. Whatever. Anyway, we're going to get out of debt this, this year. And the day that you decide to get out of debt, your AC breaks in your car. Anybody ever been there? You know what I'm trying to say? It's $1,000 or $1,500 to do it. And you think, man, here I am. I'm making one step forward. I think God called us, and now it's two steps back. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's men in the room who say, I'm going to finally lead my family spiritually. And you sit down. We're going to pray together. And we're going we're gonna to read God's Word together. And we're going to get a connect group. We're really going to dig into this. When you have the family meeting, the teenager at the table says, hey, by the way, Dad, I just thought you should know I think I'm an atheist. <laughs> and you make one step forward. And two steps back, just when you think you're making spiritual progress, you do something from God, just when you think, man, this is the thing God's called me to do, and now there's an attack, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. Let me encourage you, do not be discouraged because there's opposition or an obstacle from what God called you to do. Listen, Nehemiah doesn't back down. Nehemiah doesn't stop, and Nehemiah would tell you, don't back down either. This is what I want you to do with that criticism. Listen close. Would you write this down? Here's what Nehemiah did. The Bible says he took it to God. He took it to God in prayer. He constantly was in front of God. He constantly was praying. You will not get through what God called you to get through without taking it to God. Shout amen, everybody. He took it to God, and then he always got right back to work. At some point, you're just going to realize if you're going to make spiritual progress in your life, it's going to be because it's work. Because you just decide to get up every day. I'm going to take it to God and I'm going to keep working. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what any of my critics say. Let me tell you why. Let me let you on a little secret here. You don't have to answer every critic that you've got. You don't have, let me help my generation. Come on, 20s, 30s, 40s, something. Let me help you all on social media. Believe it or not, you don't have to answer everything that somebody says negatively about you on Facebook. I know you feel a spiritual obligation to, but you don't have to. When we started this church, there were people that, that, that I thought were, were you know, in our corner, people that were going the right direction with us, people that would encourage us, and there were nasty attacks. I'm talking about people that you thought, man, there was just, they're, they're our brothers. They're the people that would encourage us. They're not going to. And, and I remember a day after day, I would, t- I would show Brandy, here's what they said, and here's what they said. Or people that talk about you without naming you on Facebook. Y'all know what I'm trying to say? And you look and you go, I know you're talking about me. I mean, it's my initials for Pete's sake. You know what I'm saying? I know, I know you're talking. You know, oh, oh a, a, a fictional church named Hill City. Okay, let me think. Huh? Could be us. I don't know. And they just talk. And, and, and I would go to Brandy and, and she would say, are you going to say something? Are you going to answer? No, no, no. I don't have to answer any critics. Listen, you don't have to answer your critics. i got to answer to God for what God called me to do. So it doesn't matter what any of the critics say. It doesn't matter what anybody says. I'm just going to go to God and I'm going to get back to work doing what God called me to do, everybody. I'm just going to take it to God and I'm going to get back to work doing what God called me to do. And some of you, you don't have to answer any of those stuff. You just need to get back to work. Take it to God and do what God called you to do. Shout amen, everybody. So not only are there forces from the outside in your life, but there are always going to be forces from the inside of your life. And these are the ones that hurt the most. Your enemy will oppose you from the inside. 
That's the stuff that hurts more than the stuff from the outside. Everybody kind of expects Sanballat and Tobiah, these enemies of God's people, to sort of come and discourage them. But nobody expects when it's somebody close to you, a family member, a church member, a friend. You're trying to make a difference. Here's what verse 10 says. Meanwhile, the people of Judah, the people of Judah go to him. Now, these are not people who live in Jerusalem. These are just people who kind of hang around. And they said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. These are, not, these are not the enemies of the people of Jerusalem. These are the people in Judah. And they said there's just so much rubble. Has anybody ever moved before? Would you just raise your hand if you ever? How many of you hate moving? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. If somebody's hand isn't raised, they're, they're going to hell. They're lying. I hate moving. And, and I don't hate moving because of the big stuff. Marla, I hate moving because of all the little bitty rubble and giblets. You know what I'm talking about? The little, like it's not the bed and the couch. It's like at some point, this is the truth. Brandon and I were moving from Austin to here. At one point, we had made so many trips. I literally told her, I don't care what happens to the rest of it. I don't care. They can have it. I don't care what they do with it. I don't care if they burn it down. I'm tired of like filling my car up with little bitty stuff. Anybody know what I'm trying to say? Everybody. That's what happened to the people. They said, there's just so much of this little rubble, we can't do anything with it. I'm tired of building this wall. Listen, the halfway point is the starting point of your opposition. The enemy of your soul knows if I can get you tired and exhausted and halfway till what God called me to do, then I can discourage you. Usually that's when people show up right in the middle of things and you're exhausted and there's discouragement that sets in and people have lost their zeal. People have forgotten why it is that God called them to do what God called them to do. And you're right in the middle of this work and here comes all of this negativity. And it's the Jews themselves that are that, that are talking negatively to, to, to Nehemiah and the people building this wall they lived the bible said they did not live in jerusalem the bible says they lived near the enemy look at verse 12 then these jews came that lived near the enemy and they came and told us these are my favorite church members by the way in case you're wondering who my favorite people in this church are they're jews who live near the the camp and they came and told us 10 times over wherever you turn they will attack us (laughs) you ever met somebody who tells you one time something negative but that's just not enough They just love telling you ten times over how negative it is that you can't do what it is you're going to do. Anybody know what I'm trying to say? These are the people who come to me all the time and they don't actually serve here or give here or show up here faithfully. They're just people who live close to church and they've always got ten times more negative things to say about church. I I feel like preaching right now. Somebody, They're the people who come to me and go, Pastor, when are we ever going to get a building? Pastor, it's so early. It's so hot in here. Pastor, why is it so loud? Why is it so, I hate how loud it is. Pastor, it's so dark in here. These things are so cold. I don't like root beer. Do you have anything else? Do you have any diet root beer? I don't like cars. Pastor, what do you do? Hang on, don't clap because everybody knows what I'm talking about. Hang on. These are the people who ten times over come to you and say, why are you doing that? Why are you even going to church? What are you making? Why are you going on the mission field? Why why are you doing this? Why are you giving God? Why are you tithing? That's silly. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. God. And ten times over these Jews came to them and they said, why are you doing this? It's the people who get closest to you who hurt the most. 
who try to discourage you when you know God's called you to do something great. You know God's called you to come and and make progress and God's called you to dig in and dig deeper and you just can't figure out why is it that these people who are the closest to me are discouraging me. Listen, I want you to be encouraged. You are not being attacked because you're doing something wrong. You're being attacked because you're doing something right. Just stay the course. Just keep fighting and doing what God called you to do. Shout amen, everybody. There are always going to be people from the outside and people from the inside. And, and to be honest with you, Nehemiah should have been pretty afraid. He should have been turning around. He should have been walking away, but he doesn't do that. He said, let's fight. Let's get, let's get down. I love the, the, the last part of verse 14, Nehemiah 4 and 14. He said, after I looked these things over, I stood up. And I said to the nobles, he said, I I thought about everybody who had talked me out of my progress, out of what God called me to do, out of making a difference. I looked at I looked at the people from the outside. I looked at Sanballat and I looked at Tobiah and I looked at people from the inside, the Jews that lived close to us that tried to talk us out of it. He said, I called everybody together. I had a big team meeting and all the officials and the rest of the people. And here's what I told them. And here's what I'm telling you on Father's Day. Listen close. Don't be afraid of them don't be afraid of them don't 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 be afraid when somebody says this is stupid why are you doing this why are you why are you deciding don't be afraid when you're criticized and ridiculed and there's obstacles in your way and then he says something I love he says not not only don't I, I don't be afraid he says I want you to remember the Lord would you underline that in your notes or write that down in your notes he said don't be afraid of them and then he tells them remember the Lord who is great and awesome And this is my message for you for Father's Day. Listen close. And fight for your families. And fight for your sons and for your daughters. And fight for your wives. And fight for your homes. Our musicians are coming. Listen close. This is my prayer for you on Father's Day. That while you're trying to do the right thing and go the right direction and make progress in your life and make a difference. Come on, everybody. While you're trying to make a difference. There's opposition from every side. And it's one step forward and two steps back. I don't want you to get discouraged in the middle of it. As a matter of fact, like Nehemiah, I want to tell you, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of what everybody thinks about you. Don't be afraid of how people talk or try to discourage you out of it. If God called you to do it, you can complete what God called you to do. Shout amen to that, everybody. And then I want you to remember the Lord. That's probably my favorite part. Of this. He says, I want you to remember the Lord. And here's kind of what I think he was saying. It doesn't say it, but here's what I think Nehemiah probably said. He said, he probably got everybody together and said, Hey guys, remember when we were all in bondage in Egypt when our great, great, great grandparents were? Remember the bricks they had to make every day? Remember how, how, how the Egyptians were cruel to us and we didn't have a home and we didn't have a nation and we were oppressed and we had no hope and we had no future and we had no place to call our own? Remember when we couldn't worship God? Remember when we were under Pharaoh? Remember how God brought Moses to deliver us and he's the guy who stuttered but God still called him and remember how Moses brought us out and then remember how we got to the Red Sea and there was water everywhere and Moses puts his rod out and God parts the Red Sea and we walk across on dragon what's he doing I'll tell you what he's doing he's doing what I'm going to do for you right now he's asking the people of God to remember that God has always worked it out in your life that if God's called you somewhere God's going to make a way where there doesn't seem 
to be away. I want you to remember how you were a sinner when God found you. How you were lost and destitute and broke and you didn't have anywhere to go. I want you to remember when your marriage failed and the other one failed and the other one failed. I want you to remember when you were addicted and afflicted and messed up and broken and you didn't know where to go. And God, am I preaching to anybody in the room? And God rescued you and brought you out and fixed you and put you together. And now you're facing opposition. And I want you to remember that if God could do it then, that God could do it now. That if God can deliver us from Egypt, listen, then He can certainly complete the good work that He started in your life. Even if it's hard. Even if it feels like you don't know which way to go. Even if there's criticism. Even if there's people without that. Even if, listen, I just want you to know God can work a miracle in your life just like He has done in the past. Remember, I love this how Psalm 77 says this. This is a psalm of Asaph. It's not a psalm of David, but Asaph says this. He said, I was at a low point in my life. Come on, musicians. He said, I was at a low point in my life. And then I thought, to this I will appeal. He said, here's what I'm going to think about, everybody. I'm going to think about the years when the Most High stretched out His right hand. And I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. And I'll remember your miracles from long ago. And I'll consider all of your works and I'll meditate on all of your mighty deeds. Asaph said, I'll tell you how I'm going to get through this. I'm going to remember everything that you've called me to do. And then I'm going to get up and I'm going to fight for my cause. I'm going to fight for what God's called me to do. I'm going to fight for what God called me to be a part of. I'm going to do what I'm called to do. Even if he doesn't move. Now listen, here's the last thing I want to tell you and I want you to write this down. And I don't want you to ever forget this. If you don't remember anything else to say, I want you to remember this last thing. Listen close. Sometimes God moves before us. Sometimes He moves before us. And sometimes God moves after us. But God never moves without us. Let me tell you that again. Would you write that down? Sometimes God moves before us. And sometimes God moves after us. But God never moves without us. You're going to have to do your part. You're going to have to get up and fight and make a difference. Here's another way I like to say it. Listen, without God, we cannot. But without us, God just will not do it. You ever looked around and thought of something in the world? You thought, man, why doesn't this change? Why doesn't God change this? And I could imagine if I'm God looking at you going, why don't you? Because without God, we can't do anything. But without us, God won't do anything. So, th- so that's my prayer, is that you just keep fighting. Probably my favorite part of this whole story is at the end of the story, Nehemiah sort of goes to the people and he says, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. They're going to keep attacking us, but we've got a job to do. And so I want you to put a tool in one hand and stay on the wall, and I want you to put a sword in the other hand, and I want you to fight off the enemies. Because you're not going to do what God called you to do without opposition, but you can do both. You can still build what God called you to build and fight off the opposition and fight off the doubt and fight not just for yourself. Read verse 14 one more time. Not just for yourself. Come on, dads. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons and for your daughters and for your wives and for your homes. I don't know what God called you to make a difference in. 
I don't know what you're going to fight for. There's some people in the room, they're going to fight for the unborn, people who don't have voices. There are going to be people who fight for, you know, for orphans or, or for inner city kids or for single moms or for your marriage. There's some people here that just need to fight for your marriage, man. You just need to fight that God would heal your marriage. And I know it's struggling, but God can fix anything and you're not going to give up. Maybe you fight for your own kids because you weren't raised in a home where there was godly example. I don't know what it is you're called to fight. Or maybe you're called like me to fight for people who, who, who have given up on church. There's some people in this room who I fight for. Why? Because I'm called to this, man. So I'll tell you what I'll do every Sunday. I'm going to keep building this. And I'll fight off opposition. And I'll fight off criticism. Hang on just a second. I'll fight off criticism. I'll fight off all. None of that stuff matters. I won't answer anybody any of that stuff. I'm just going to keep fighting to build a church where people like us can experience God. I don't know what you're called to fight for. There's somebody in the room. Zach and Mary, where are you at? Are you here in this service? Zach and Mary, where are you at? Zach's right here. Come here, Zach. Hurry, hurry, hurry. To the front. That's what you get for raising your hand. Is your wife here? She's... Come here, Mary. What's up, brother? Good looking dude. Hi, girl. How are you? Good. Hey, these are these are two special people. Come sit right here. They just they just moved from, from California to Texas. And tomorrow they leave for Israel. You're, you're leaving? You're staying? How are you gonna leave you behind for that? Don't let him leave you when you go to the Caribbean. Make him take you when he goes, leaving for Israel. Listen, you say, well, I'm not sure God called me. That's okay. God called him, and he's going to go do what God called me. You think it's going to be easy? It's not going to be easy. You think it's going to be, it's not going to, listen, there's going to be opposition and criticism. People that misunderstand, they quit a good job. They've moved and just following after God's presence and after God's call. Whatever that means and wherever it leads, at some point, you're not going to understand it. You just got to know, this is what God called me to do. So here's how we're going to end. I want you to stand to your feet, everybody. I want you to take somebody by the hand. I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to pray for you. They're calling maybe something like Israel to tomorrow when they're, when they're going to take the gospel to people who God has chosen and God's fighting for. And, but it may be something different. I just wanted you to see what the face of following God's call looks like, everybody. It looks like heartache and misunderstanding and leaving and I don't know and what are we going to do and how's this going to work? I don't know how it's going to work. I just wanted you to know it's not just my story. It's a story just like this. Who day after day, people just say, I'm going to fight for the dream God gave us. We're going to fight for what's right. So take somebody by the hand and bow your heads. Father, I pray for Zach tomorrow as he takes a long plane ride to Israel. I pray for the mission that you've called him for I pray for clarity and for direction, for protection for the angels of the Lord, I send the angels of the Lord before him to encamp round about him to bring him home safely I pray for God's call in their life I pray against the opposition, I pray against the critics, but even if they come, I pray for boldness for people like Zach to just say yes over and over again now Father I pray for every person in the room whose heads bowed and eyes are closed, who are, know that they know that God's called them to do something. They're called to make a difference. And there's opposition. And there's, there's stuff in the way. There's stuff they don't understand. There's just, I don't know why this happens. Maybe it's somebody from the outside. Maybe it's somebody from the inside. But it hurts. Matter of fact, with nobody looking around and everybody still praying, if that's you, if you know that you know, 
that God's calling you, but it, it, it seems like it's harder now than it's ever been. Would you just be honest and boldly raise your hand and say, man, that's me. I know it. Come on, hands are up everywhere. It's harder than it's ever been. Father, I pray for every hand that's raised for strength to fight the battle. God, give them the strength to keep a tool in one hand and a sword in another. God, to keep fighting for their cause, fighting to make a difference, doing what God called them to do. God, they're not facing opposition because they're doing something wrong. They're facing opposition because they're doing something right because God's called them to more. God, give them boldness and strength of Nehemiah. Give them that resolve that I'm going to do what I've called to do. I am on this wall. I'm here doing a good work and I cannot come down. I have to complete what God called me to do. I pray for that kind of boldness over fathers today to build godly homes, good homes, love their kids, raise godly kids. I don't care how they were raised, where they come from. I don't care about their grandfather and the sins of their father. I pray for godly men at City Hills to rise up and say, I'm doing what God's called me to do to change my family. Everything changes with me. And I'm going to make a difference. Despite the opposition and the obstacles, I'm going to make difference in Jesus name everybody shout a big amen come on let's give him the best praise you've given him all day